0: You're listening to a recorded version of the sessions. All interaction from the participants are removed, but the questions are still there. So please feel free to pause and reflect whenever questions are thrown out. So I'm recording now and let me just start the session by saying, I want to, actually, I want to ask a question to you guys. And it's a question that I've asked on Instagram today as well. And I'm going to share some of the answers that I received on Instagram. So the question is, What makes Christianity different from every other religion? Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous preacher, some of you may have heard of him. He said, religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God seeking man. I'll say I'll say that again. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God seeking man. What do you think about that as a as a as a definition of separating christianity from world religion as we know it because it's a very important point all everything we've said so far shows a very big difference from christianity to religion but this one highlights a fundamental thing on on how religion works compared to christianity so religion is generally about if you analyze world religions It's generally about things that you need to do to get to God, as if you're climbing a ladder and you need to reach God. And it's all down to what you do. So you need to stop doing bad things, start doing good things, pray this many times, go to these holy places. It's all down to you. If you analyze world religions, you will find those similarities in every religion. Even Buddhism, which claims to be no God, you're seeking enlightenment there's still things you must do to get to that stage of enlightenment. So I wonder if you felt that. I wonder if there's any religious people here that have joined us and maybe you're tired of religion. Maybe you feel very religious, but you don't know God at all. I know someone that joined our session on the first week of this series. And he said this to me, God just sees us as atoms. We're just atoms to him. He doesn't really care about us. That's what, That's sometimes the view. And sometimes religion can feel like that. You're doing lots of things trying to get God's attention. Will he accept me? And you never know if you've done enough. So compare that with Christianity. Christianity, I hope you've seen so far in these sessions, is all about God coming down to us. (laughs) Martino Jones says Christianity is God-seeking man. This is what we see when we read John's Gospel. John's gospel tells us from the very first chapter, God has come to earth over 2000 years ago as a man and his name is Jesus. A huge claim. And it means when you read about Jesus in the gospels, you're reading about God. It's huge. And each statement that we've looked at week by week tells us that. Week one, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. We saw that. We saw in week two jesus said i'm the light of the world week three jesus said i am the door and i am the good shepherd week four jesus said i'm the resurrection and the life and last week we saw with Hez, jesus said i am the way and the truth and the life add up all of those statements and you think whoa jesus is like no one else and each statement is telling us god is here look no further And why did God come to earth seeking us? Well, each statement tells us. Think about it. Jesus is bread. Well, bread feeds hunger. It tells us we're hungry. Jesus says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Light, light expels darkness. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And he follows it by saying, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The point is, each statement is telling us Jesus has come, for people like me and you, to bring us back to God. And this is what Christianity is all about. Eva mentioned about a relationship. That's the goal of Christianity, knowing God. That's That's what John's gospel is here to do, to bring you to God by faith in Jesus. And it's why you have probably heard it said that Christianity is about a relationship not just another religion and that means it works totally different to religion completely the opposite and that's something we're going to see tonight in our final statement where Jesus says I am the true vine John chapter 15 we're going to turn to that in a minute but let me just give a little background just so you know where we're at Jesus is speaking to his disciples in this chapter we heard that last week with Hez. He's about to leave. He's about to go to the cross and die. And he's going to rise again to be with the father forever where he is now. So he's leaving them with words to remember. So what you're hearing here in this chapter is words that Jesus wants to leave with his disciples so they can go on as he goes back to heaven to be with the father. So these are his his some of his last words to his disciples. So. If Hez could share the screen, that and just we're going to read the first few verses of uh, John chapter fifteen, uh, verse one to seventeen. Verse one, Jesus starts by saying, "I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit He prunes that it may bear more fruit." Already you were clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Abide means remain. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So that you will love one another. So that's some of Jesus' last words that he says to his disciples. And, and he's painting a picture of a vine here. You probably saw that straight away. A vine produces fruit, grapes. And in this picture, the vine is Jesus himself. We've seen that. I am the true vine, he says. And he says to the disciples, You are the branches, verse five. So, primarily, this is a call for Christians. To remain in Jesus to be fruitful in their lives but tonight I want to show you that this speaks to all of us not just Christians and tells us a key truth that every human being needs to know and respond to so firstly I want us to think about Jesus choice of words here verse one I am the true vine the fact he says true suggests that there's other vines because think about it if imagine Coca-Cola they might say we are the true cola not Pepsi not Tesco value we are the true cola or it could be even like Spurs saying we are the true team in north London sorry for any Arsenal fans but if you know the history Arsenal started off in south London and they moved up to north right so Spurs are technically the true team but anyway Matter aside, the point is, Jesus' use of words here is suggesting that he's comparing himself to other vines by saying, I am the true vine. So we have to ask the question first, what are these other vines that he's comparing himself to? Well, the disciples would have known straight away what Jesus was getting at, because there is a picture of a vine popping up throughout the the Old Testament. And... The vine in the Old Testament was Israel, God's people, the Jews. Isaiah, um, a book in the Old Testament, says it very clearly. Isaiah chapter five, verse seven says, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So it's Israel. Israel is the vine. Israel is the, the vineyard. And it's made up of a whole nation of people. Israel, many people and the point is god planted it so the point that's been made in the old testament is that for those of you who know they were originally in egypt slaves god takes them out plants them in a new land and gives them everything the nation of israel and he offered them a relationship he would be their gods they would be his people and the requirement was produce good fruit Like a vine. Ten commandments. What's the heart of the Ten Commandments? For those of you that were with us in previous series, where is the love? We saw that love is at the heart of the Ten Commandments. Love God, love others. Love your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to kill. If you love God, you're not going to worship idols. Makes sense. So, you could see this as like the pinnacle of religion here. Israel had everything, God's word, his commandments. He had, they had his presence in the temple. They could know God, the only nation in the whole world. God even says in Isaiah chapter five, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done? He's saying, I've given you everything. So you would have expected good results, right? thinking about Israel and everything that was done for them, you would have expected good results. But the big message about the vine in the Old Testament is that it completely failed. God looked for it to give sweet, nice grapes, but it gave bitter, sour, wild grapes. It says that in Isaiah 5 again. It says this, God looked for justice in Israel, but behold, bloodshed. They were killing people, innocent people. God looked for righteousness in Israel, purity, holiness. But there was an outcry. There was sin everywhere. You can imagine a gardener buying a vine, planting it, expecting nice grapes. And he's completely disappointed with what he sees. Rotten, sour grapes. That's Israel. They became even worse than the nations around them who didn't know God at all. They committed every sin you could imagine. Even this, they were sacrificing their own children to idols, to other gods. Imagine that. Why am I starting here? Because this is the starting point for us. This is why Jesus is using the picture of a vine. It's the Old Testament story. For those of you who haven't read the Old Testament, the big central theme is that Israel, God's people, the vine they didn't just fail they failed horribly and what happened to the vine well we read it in ezekiel so i'm just going to read a a short passage from ezekiel this is what happened to israel the people of god it says this therefore thus says the lord god like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest which i have given to the fire for fuel so i have given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. God has given them up. He says, I will set my face against them. Though they escape from the fire, the fire shall yet consume them. It's sobering stuff. One of the biggest events in in the Old Testament was Babylon coming in, ransacking Israel, Jerusalem, dragging people away captive, everything destroyed. So think about it, because this is where I'm going to relate it to us now. Israel was a vine full of religious branches they were religious but they completely failed and look where they ended up destroyed now I want to ask a question at this point what should this tell us about human beings and religion does it what does this teach us what we read in the old testament what I've just shared with you what should this tell us about us as human beings, and about religion. This is the pinnacle of religion. God gave them commandments. He he, he gave them a temple. He gave them priests. He gave them sacrifices. This was the pinnacle of religion. And the point I'm making is the Old Testament shows us we need more than religion and rules. It tells us we need more than that. It screams out that we need a saviour. We need help. I wonder if you guys here have seen that in your own life. Maybe you felt the frustration of trying to be good and, and make yourself acceptable to God. As I'm going to say a bit later, the issue here is not what God gave them. The commands were good. His word is perfect. His presence in the temple was glorious The issue was not that. The issue was the people, which we're going to look into. And the problem here is religion also built up pride because at the time of Jesus, there were proud religious people that were very proud of their heritage from the Old Testament. And they were born Jews. They were the vine. Religious They thought they were all good, but one proper look at their history and they should have seen the issue. And I want to say the same should be true of us today. Look at our world history. Look how long we've been around, yet we just can't seem to solve evil. You think surely we would wake up to this fact by now. Humans have existed how long? We still have wars, we still have murder, we still have inequality, racism, Think of the outcries recently, the protests at some of these issues in the UK. Racism, women's safety. And the problem is we protest about it, but we can't seem to stop it. So what do you guys suggest is the problem here? What needs to be done? Can can anyone share thoughts on, on how these things can be solved? Because some people say we need more rules. Some people are saying that today, right now. just just like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They were all about more rules. Some people say we need more education. Uh, I was watching a BBC programme the other day, the news. People were being interviewed about this latest incident with um, the woman that died, sadly. And everyone on the street was saying, we need more education. We need to educate people. That's the answer. Can anyone share their thoughts on what the answer might be with this problem of evil that we have what you said there lee is interesting because the quote that i'm just about to read tell tell me what you think of this right so this is from um so jesus said this um in mark 7 um jesus says what comes out of a person is what defiles him so, so it's what comes out and he says For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within. All of these evil things, sorry, he says. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So... So Jesus is not saying that we're infected by some outside power. It's from within us. We, we, we're, we're corrupted from within. Um, we can't get rid of it. It's it's in our thoughts, it's in our words. It's um, and I think we all feel that because we all feel a sense of guilt um when in that, with that list. I'm sure that when some of those words are read out, we think, yep, um, I've done that. Um so, so so Jesus is suggesting that there is a something wrong with us as human beings from within we produce lots of bad fruits from within like a branch he's used the word branch in in this chapter we're like branches that produce bad fruit so you can say we're bad branches the issue is us that's why the fruit that comes out is bad that that's the point here yeah and why are we like this i'm sure some people are asking that question why Didn't God make us good? Well, in the first three chapters of the Bible, Adam and Eve, they were like a vine. They were planted in the Garden of Eden. They were told to be fruitful. Beautiful picture. God was with them in the garden, like a gardener. But the vine failed too. I said to you that Israel was a vine that failed. Adam and Eve failed. They rejected God. They sinned against him. They did exactly what he said not to do and they produced bad fruit the reason why our world is the way it is the reason why we are the way we are is because because of that first decision in the beginning from adam and eve we are now born through them so we've all been affected and corrupted by this they rejected god we now live in a world that is lost and far from god which is why which in the world of jesus we're producing so much bad fruit in our lives because we've been corrupted from within. We've, we, we, we've rejected our, our maker. And, in, 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 and, and also, Lee, one more thing as well. Um, in the Old Testament, it says this as well, because you, you asked about um, whether Jesus was saying a new teaching. I'm going to read to you exactly now the verse found in Isaiah. It says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. How, how is that for a statement about the human race? It's, it's everyone, not even one. And the, the point I want to go on to now is to follow on from that. Because remember, we, we're comparing Jesus, the true vine, with the false vines, Right that's what we're doing we're trying to see why he said he's the true vine isaiah says not even one has done good well jesus is the true vine we're finally going to understand what he means by true vine now let's look at jesus we've looked at israel we've looked at adam we've looked at us let's look at jesus jesus became one of us that's the teaching of john Jesus was planted here on earth, you could say, born as a man, yet he isn't like us. This is the wonder of John's gospel. He is the perfect human, the son of God, God as a man. And he succeeded where Israel failed. He's the only one who did true good. He's the only one who produced good fruit. He always loved. He never sinned. Never lusted once, never did any ounce of sin, always did what pleased God. And it stands in contrast to Israel and to us and to every religion. He says, I am the true vine. And by default, he's saying all else is false. And what I want to make as a side point is we still have many vines out there today. We have many religions saying, Come. Join yourself to us. Come on, branches, come and join us. Come and find life. There's religious ones. There's spirituality. There's non-religious. There's You could call atheism. An atheist would be the first to argue they're not religious. But if you analyze the life of an atheist, you might come to a different conclusion. I would even argue that things in our lives can do that. I had the experience of living for something that wasn't God. And it was like I joined myself to that person in a relationship and tried to draw life from them. But I was left empty. I wonder if you guys have had that experience trying to find life in false vines. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And no, he's not just bigging himself. He's not bigging himself up here saying, look at me, look at how great I am. He's saying this for our benefit. He's saying stop going to the false vines come and join me and what i want to ask now is why is this good news for us that jesus is the true vine yes yes mandy and and actually in our passage he says verse five i am the vine you are the branches so he's saying this is has a direct relation to you you're a branch I'm the vine yeah so that means you need to join yourself to the vine to find life and what I want to look at now is what does it mean to join the vine the true vine what does it mean to become a Christian because joining the vine is essentially becoming a Christian well listen to this Jesus says in verse 3 to the disciples already you are clean right what does it mean to join the vine you're made clean you may have been a bad branch before you may have been full of bad fruit but the minute you join the vine in faith you're made clean the disciples were branches just like us right they weren't special people the disciples that he was speaking to they sinned as well they were bad branches and if you think about the illustration it makes sense Jesus is the true vine. He's good, right? If you're a branch and you're joining yourself to the vine, you're no longer counted in your own right anymore. You're part of the vine. You're no longer by yourself. You're joined to the vine. This is what happens when someone becomes a Christian. They're in Christ. This is why it's so important that Jesus became a man, because he represents us, he's our representative. We've seen that we're bad branches, right? Full of sin. Jesus takes the consequences of that sin. He dies in our place. You could say he was the vine that was destroyed. Just like that vine in the Old Testament. He was destroyed instead of us. He takes the anger of God at sin. Remember, God is holy. This is the problem we have. We're bad branches. God is clean and holy. How can that mix? Well, when you come to join Christ... You're made clean. It means he died in your place on the cross when you become a Christian. It means that he is treated as though he is you. That means he takes your guilt, your judgment, your death, and your hell. And he gives you in return his righteousness, his purity. He gives you his eternal life. He gives all of that to you. You trade places. When you join the vine, you're counted as one. He takes everything that was yours which is bad and he takes and he gives you everything that is his. Mm. He's the true vine the only innocent one yet he was treated as though he's guilty. He was the only one who deserved to live yet he died facing God's anger. It's why you might have heard him cry out on the cross in the bible my God my God why have you forsaken me because he stood in our place But He rose from the dead, which we'll look at next week. He's alive. So because he lives, we live. When you're joined to the vine, you're you're tied up with Christ. If he lives, you live. It means the father will accept you, God the father, because he's not going to reject his son. You're you're attached to, to the vine. You're safe. No more judgment. This is the truth of the gospel. This is why Jesus can say to the disciples, already you are clean already because they came by faith they believed him they trusted him they're cleansed of all their sin past present future do you see the difference between this and other religions what other religion says that to you come and you will be clean come as you are this is the wonder of christ now an important question that will naturally follow this is, if that's true, I wonder if you've asked this question, if that's true, if Christians are just forgiven, past, present and future, does that mean they can just do what they want now? I wonder if you've asked that question. Doesn't that mean you can, Christians can just live as they want and they're going to be forgiven? Well, no. When you think about the vine picture again, a branch that's joined the vine is never the same again they have new life flowing in them from the vine think about the relationship a christian has with god now they're joined to jesus they have the father as the gardener who's intimately involved in their life every day pruning bits of the branch and they've got the holy spirit living inside them the life of the vine is now flowing into the branch so what do you expect's going to happen? The branch is going to produce fruit, good fruit, fruit that wasn't there before, because there's new life flowing through the vine. So a Christian will never be the same again. They've got the Holy Spirit of God living inside them. How could a Christian just live as they used to live? How could they do the same sins without any care in the world? No, they're forgiven. Yes, but they've got new life now. They're not producing the fruit they used to produce. They're joined to Christ they're new creations, they're born again. Listen to this, in these verses in Galatians 5, Apostle Paul talks about two sorts of fruit. Listen to the first list, a bit like Jesus, the quote from Jesus that I read earlier. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, Dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's what we produce in our world. That's what Paul says. That's what we naturally produce. But when someone joins themselves to the vine and becomes a Christian, they have the spirit in them. And listen to the fruit of the spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness self-control look at the contrast between those two now i'm not talking about a christian living a perfect life all of a sudden i'm not saying that at all i'm saying that the direction of their life will dramatically change they will still sin yes but they will have new life flowing in them they don't it's not inevitable that they're going to sin anymore they can turn away from it and they would want to they're joined to the vine. Why would they want to go and live the life that they lived before? So I wonder if you've noticed that maybe you've seen people become believers around you. Maybe you've witnessed someone become a Christian close to you. I wonder if you've seen the change in their life and it's made you question, hmm, maybe this is true. I wonder if you found this in your own life. Are you born again here? Have you joined yourself to the vine? Do you know what it is to be a true Christian? Well, if not, I have to ask the big how question now. How does a branch join to the vine? What must someone do to become a Christian? Let me throw that out now and see what people say. Yes, the two words, repent and believe. Um, Thank you, Eva. Uh, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, we love quoting this. You probably heard this week in and week out, but it's the it's amazing. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. He so loves the world, He gives His Son, that whoever believes believes. That's what Eva said. Believe, right? And repent. Eva, Eva mentioned repentance, which is important because when you believe. You're not just believing in who Christ is. You're believing in who you are, a bad branch, a sinner. It's humbling. You're having to accept who you really are. You need to see your sin for what it really is. That means you'll repent. When you see your sin as it is, turn away from it. Follow Christ, new life. Don't, Don't carry on living the life you lived before. Repentance. And how? Pray. Call out to Jesus. Forgive me. I've sinned against you. Save me. And I have no doubt God answers that prayer. He hears the prayers of anyone who truly believes. There's a verse that says, He will not turn away anyone. Jesus won't turn away anyone who comes to Him. That's a promise. So it's simple on the one hand believe and repent, call on Christ, but it's hard. And let me tell you why. It's completely humbling. You don't, you're not just caught, you're not just accepting the fact you're a sinner when you become a Christian. You're accepting the fact that you can't do anything at all for God to accept you. Listen to Jesus' words in verse four and five, right? Let's read this again and imagine how the world today will receive such words. Listen to this. Verse four: Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me i am the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me and i in him he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing listen listen to those words apart from me you can do nothing how humbling is that for a human being he's not saying your vines alongside me he's saying you're a branch you're dead without me connect yourself to me live through me branches can't live by themselves they need the vine and a branch is meant to produce fruit it has a purpose and jesus is saying you cannot produce any good fruit unless you're in him apart from him you can do nothing now you might be thinking but i do loads of things every day i'm not a christian I go to work, I make great things, I paint great pictures. That's not the point that Jesus is making here. Jesus is saying that before God, we might do many things in life, but we failed in the one area that matters, holiness. We failed his commandments every day. Every day we sin. Even when we try to do good. It's mixed with sin. Listen to Isaiah 64. Again, Lee, this is a quote from the Old Testament. We have all become like one who is unclean. All again, everyone and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Mm. How's that for self-esteem? So Jesus is saying, essentially, it's impossible for you to be accepted by God unless you join him as the true vine what do you think the world would say to such a statement what do you think religious people they're probably the ones that are offended most by this as we see in Jesus day it was the religious people that opposed him the most the most religious opposed Jesus the most because that message is saying everything you've been living for is counted as worthless if you don't come to Christ and trust in him it's so countercultural this message Listen to some of the quotes that I found when I Google searched motivational speakers. If you dream it, you can achieve it. Zig Ziglar, his name is, American motivational speaker. Brian Tracy says this. There are no limits to what you can accomplish except the limits you place on your own thinking. I wonder if you're feeling pumped by that. Well, religion chips in on this too. Islam teaches... Do these five pillars. And if you do well enough, God may just accept you at the end, but you won't know until you die. Buddhism, like I said earlier, says you can reach enlightenment, this higher state of being, but you have to do many things to get there. You've got to meditate most of your life. You've got to stay away from drink, stay away from all these bad things. Even Catholicism and orthodoxy, I'm going to lose some friends here, but they say, yes, believe in Jesus. Yep, we're all for that. But you still need to do other things to be accepted by God. Jesus' death essentially is not enough. You need to attend mass. You need to do this. You need to do that. We'll, we'll deal with that at the end if there's any objections to that. But it's a really important point to make that religion adds burdens on your shoulder and says you must do these things to be accepted by God. Jesus says very plainly, you can do nothing to be accepted by God. Stop trying and trust in me. Only when you abide in me will you produce the good fruit that you need to. It's the opposite way around to religion. Religion says do good fruit, produce good fruit, and God will accept you. Jesus says, come to me as you are. I will clean you. And transform your life and what do i what else do i want to say before we move on to the last bit it's all because of love i would like to argue tonight that love is the missing ingredient in religion religion is dominated by fear and punishment the bible says god is love and love is the only reason that branches like us Can be with God. We didn't deserve a thing. We did nothing but sin and reject God, but He brought us in. He gathered us as Christians to join the true vine. We didn't deserve that. It wasn't because we were good and worthy. It's because Jesus, what He says in, in verse nine of our passage, He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. He's telling disciples, Abide in my love, stay in my love. That's what they're called to do. And he says in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did. He laid down his life, the greatest love ever. While we were still enemies, he laid down his life. And it makes sense then why a Christian is so full of joy, why they're happy to change their life because they found the love of God. A Christian will say, Jesus gave his life for me? I've done nothing to deserve that. How could I not love in return? How could I go on sinning like I used to when I've been shown such love? Remember, a man doesn't cheat on his wife because she told him not to. It's because he loves her that he's faithful. And that's the heart of Christianity love. So I hope you've seen that tonight. I hope you've seen how unique Christianity is. It's none other than knowing God personally through Christ, the true vine. Closer than ever, by the way, he says, you in me, I in you. We're abiding in him. He's living in us by his spirit. What is closer than that? Do you want that? Do you want to know God on such a close basis where he lives inside you and you know his presence and you're accepted simply by trusting in his son? Do you want that? Well, I want to end with a warning, because in verse six, Jesus says these words. Sobering words, by the way. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. I don't need to say much to that. Jesus said it all. If you refuse to come to him and abide, he says, you're thrown away into the fire. And we can't read that without thinking about hell. Jesus spoke of hell many times. And I've got a quote from an article I was reading online. This is what it says. Jesus doesn't only reference hell. He describes it in great detail. He says it's a place of eternal torment in Luke, of of unquenchable fire in Mark. Where the worm does not die, Mark 9, where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret, Matthew 13. Jesus speaks about hell in great detail. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why is Jesus speaking about hell? Is he trying to scare people into following him? Is he trying to scare people into the kingdoms, exert some power over them? No. These are the words of someone who had done everything so that we don't have to go there. He gave his life. He didn't gain anything. He gave his life. Why is Jesus speaking so strongly here about hell? Because he doesn't want you to go there. And I just want to say as well, verse six, what he says here, he's speaking so strongly, I think, because of Judas. Judas, in this part of John, has left. Judas was around Jesus for three years. He was just another one of the twelve, No difference to the rest of the disciples, it seemed. But at this point in John 15, Judas has gone. And he's in the very process of betraying Jesus. Do you see? Judas was a branch that appeared to be in Jesus to all who looked for those three years. He was around Jesus. He was hearing the preaching, the promises. He heard the warnings of help. He heard it over and over for three years, yet he still ended up walking out. So you can't help but think of Judas when Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Jesus is saying, don't make the same mistake as Judas. You see, some of you here, you've been privileged to hear the gospel week in and week out. Some of you maybe have even grown up in Christian homes. You've gone to church for years. Some of you may even say that you're a Christian. But this picture of the vine tonight reminds us that Christianity isn't just a label that you're born with. It's not just a box that you tick in a questionnaire. I did this for many years, by the way, before I became a Christian. I said I was a Christian. Christianity is not just an external thing like most religions. It's not about whether you go to church or not, essentially, or whether you're baptised. For sure, it includes those things, but it's so much more. And the problem with the religious people in the time of Jesus is that they trusted in religion and rituals rather than Jesus himself. So as we close, maybe after all this time, deep down, that's where you are tonight. So I just want to remind you, Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. I died. I rose. Come and trust in me. Mm -hmm. Don't clean yourself up first. Come to him as you are. You will be made clean. You will be born again. You will have new life. You will know God like you never did before. You will be able to say not just, oh, I believe Jesus died for sinners, You'll get to say, I believe Jesus died for me. It becomes personal. You'll be able to sing hymns like Amazing Grace and say, that's about me. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see.